Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. And I'm excited to introduce you to some of those partners today. We have Mike and Rachel Neglia and their family with us today from Cork, Ireland. And so Mike is going to end up teaching this morning and leading our time in scripture together. But he and Rachel are going to introduce themselves today because I asked that they would make themselves available to, to do that for you because I really do want you to know uh, who these folks are that we are supporting as a church because you're the one supporting them. But my hope also is that you'd pray for them. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we encouraged you if you were here and it was right as the COVID spike happened. So we are a very small group that weekend. But uh, there are bookmarks that are in the back that we encourage you to take home, and they're still back there. And they list some prayer points for our church for this year, for 2022. But on the back, they also list our ministry partners that we're supporting uh, here and abroad. And so I'd encourage you to snag one of these as you go today. But now you have a name and a face to go with the Neglias. And so would you welcome Mike and Rachel Neglia. Pastor Trevor. Well, my name is Rachel, and um, this is my husband, Mike. Do we stand Just up here? I think, no, there's room for two. <laughs> there's room for two. Um, so I am going to share a little bit about who we are and what we do, and then after that, Mike is going to take it away and teach um, Psalm 3 this morning. So let's see. 18 years ago, a couple of starry-eyed Fallbrick. Any Fallbrick people here? Fallbrick? No. Alex? <laughs> Yay! A couple of starry-eyed Fallbrick kids fresh out of Bible college followed the call of God to Cork, Ireland. I'm going to show you in a minute where that is. Um, and we went over there to help with a Calvary that had already been planted there a few years earlier. Um, we thought, you know, this is a fun thing to do for maybe like a year or two, right? Yeah. Before we figure out what we're going to do with our lives. Anyway, that was 18 years ago this Tuesday. So um, <laughs> we'd been married for three weeks and we headed over there. And fast forward 18 years, this is our family. We have three children. And um, just two years after moving to Ireland, Mike took over the, the church and he kind of replanted it. I think it was like, people say a handful. Well, ours was a handful, like literally. It was like four people. And I remember once we were doing a Bible study in our house, and um, there were two people there, and one person got up to use the bathroom, and Mike was like, do I, do I keep preaching, or do I wait for the other half of our congregation to come back? <laughs> what did you do? Did you wait? I think I, I went to the next verse, and then the other person came back, and then we just started, started over. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, anyway, Ruth, you can go to the next slide. So that's our daughter, Rosie, with a donkey on an island off the coast of um, the west of Ireland. And when you imagine Ireland, you probably imagine sheep and donkeys and castles and fields and, you know, green. And that's all totally true, actually. A lot of the stereotypes are very true. The Irish are warm and welcoming people. Um, and there's fields of 40 shades of green everywhere you look. But where the Lord has called us to minister and the church that we serve in, it is in Cork, which is in the south of Ireland. So Ruth, you can go to the next picture if you see there. Um, there's Cork at the very bottom. Anybody of Irish heritage here? Probably a lot of you. Obviously, your pastor, O'Keefe. We know some O'Keefes in Cork, and they're a good family. So, Trevor, you come from 
good stock. So we're in the south of Ireland, and um, Mike's good at explaining kind of the the religious, um, I suppose, heritage there. So yeah, it's a it's a post-Catholic country, um, very much dominated uh, by that religious worldview for uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of, of years. Um, in the past decade, it's just rapidly secularized, and so the city and context that we live in and the nation is just um, really rushing towards uh, post-Christendom. And uh, yeah, the Lord has us there as a preserving and hopefully. Uh, uh, a light of truth. So the latest kind of polls or whatever have said that in Ireland, the evangelical Christians self-identified would be uh, between 0.1 and 2% of the population. So that's kind of the, a lot of uh, the, the language Flannery O'Connor spoke about certain regions being like Christ haunted. Like there's like this vague notion of, of Christianity, but like that's over and done with. And uh, we believe that Jesus has more in store. And so we're excited to uh, devote this part of our lives to to making him known there afresh yeah um, so like i said we're we're in cork and um ruth you can go to the next picture there so you can kind of see that's the city so we're in the second biggest city next to dublin but it's the best city above dublin um there's a great rivalry there but um this is our city where i took this photo from a bridge i was standing on we go over this bridge every day you can see a cathedral in the background that's where my daughter had her christmas play um our church is just maybe a five minute walk from there and our house is just a five minute walk from there as well so it's a really beautiful city that the lord has called us to you can go to the next slide um, this is Mike's office. He meets. Uh, we rent an office space, and then we meet in a school, same as you guys. So we know the work that goes into a Sunday morning. So if anyone here was on setup this morning, well done. Um, the Lord sees you, and we certainly are benefiting from all of your hard work. Um, but anyway, this is Mike's office. He's at a, the old YMCA building, which was opened by D.L. Moody, right? Very cool. And there's the kids waving at him, and he's up in his window. Very cold cracks in the glass, and the draft blows through. And but it's a it's a cool office. So um, you can go to the next slide. So this is the school that we meet in. Not as cute as yours. Um, very kind of Soviet era looking. But anyway, <laughs> um, so we meet there, and you know we've we've met in many locations across the city. And like I said, we started with just a handful of people. The Lord has really blessed. Um, the ministry there raised up Irish leaders. We have Irish elders and Irish people, you know, leading various ministries now. As you all know, it's been a really hard couple of years. It's been very hard in Ireland because um, the restrictions have been intense. We've had like police checkpoints um, on the road in front of our house, you know, stopping every car. You couldn't go more than two kilometers. Church could not meet for quite a long time. Months and months we weren't allowed to meet at all. So everything was online. So just last week, restrictions are lifting, and hopefully by the time we get back there, things will be um, almost normal again. But anyway, so this is where we meet, and you can go to the next slide. And that's our congregation that we miss very much. They met, what, about like five hours ago this morning? We're eight hours ahead, and I heard it went really well. One of the guys that Mike has raised up was um, teaching this morning and did a really good job. So loads of ministries are flowing out of this church, men's and women's and youth and addiction recovery and... Um, yeah, God is really blessing the work over there, and we're just so privileged to be a part of it. You can go to the next slide. I just have two more pictures. This is our house. It's a little, it's over 100 years old, and there's two houses on either side of it, so it's about as wide as from there to here, and then it goes back really long. The kitchen and the bathroom were added on as an afterthought, as many houses in Ireland are like that. 
picture makes it look wider. The picture makes it look way bigger. It's super small, but we love it. Okay, here's a prayer point. So the last time we were um, in the States was a year ago, and we ended up getting COVID, and we, we extended our stay here while we recovered. But um, a load of mice moved into the house while we were gone. So let's just pray that doesn't happen this time, because it's very cold over there, and our house is slightly less cold than the outside. Um, next slide. Okay, I wanted to throw this in here. This is a women's meeting that we did in our backyard. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because Pastor Trevor and his wife brought a team over to Cork, Ireland. That was like 10 years ago, right? Over 10 years ago? Over 10 years ago. And they were such a blessing to us. And they did loads of ministry and outreach and served alongside the church. But what they also did is they bought us a lawnmower. And I, it was, I think we had just moved in. Um, our son had just been diagnosed with autism. It was a hard time. We were feeling probably overwhelmed. And Trevor was like, we're going to have the team over, and we're going to, like, just clean up your backyard and, like, cut the hedges and trim the grass. And he bought us a lawnmower. And so here we are, like, doing ministry in our backyard. And, you know, that grass has been faithfully cut ever since. So thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate that. And he did many more greater things. But that really stuck out to me. So there we are using our back garden to minister. Um, and then the very last picture, baptism. And do you want to maybe share about how we do baptism? Sure, yeah. We have you a... do them and I don't. Yeah, there's the, yeah, the River Lee is the river that goes through our city, and it's very dirty and polluted in the city. But then if you go upstream, it's nice and uh, it's, you know, baptismable. And um, so this is a, a recent... Well, no, this is maybe... A bit ago, but that's um, that's Kian in the green. Kian, uh, he actually preached for me this morning. Um, good, good uh, local leader. And then there's Robert, uh, who is about to be be baptized. Um, I'm currently finishing up like a one and a half year discipleship program with Robert, and um, it's a it's a wonderful thing. It's great to to see where people start and then wonder where they'll go. So. That's it. Yeah, and I know we're hoping to do another kind of series of baptisms um, as soon as the river warms up a little bit, right? And that's it. So, yeah, just hopefully that gives you kind of a visual of who we are and what we're doing over there. And just thank you so much for partnering with us in prayer and support. We just really appreciate you guys. It's just such a blessing for us to be here this morning. I think it really reminds us of being back home in Cork in our school um, church as well. So, yeah, we're just thankful for you guys. I'm going to hand it over to Mike now. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm told that we're going to have uh, someone read Psalm 3. So please uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 3. All right. Psalms 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help from him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing upon the, your people. <laughs> and then we also have one more passage from Genesis 15.1. Um, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. 
I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Thank you, Ben. So the Psalms are the part of the Bible where God himself takes us by the hand and gently and carefully and patiently, he teaches us how to pray. And in that invitation towards prayer, like God is actually, he's doing a lot of things, but one of the things that God is doing in giving us the vocabulary of prayer is God invites us to share our lives with him. Um, he even wants us, believe it or not, to like process our emotions in his presence. Um, during times of prayer, it allows us to reorder us, or, or rather God to reorder us and reprioritize us as we come to him. And, and this is what blows my mind again and again, is that God, the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, he doesn't stand far off and distant and, and be inaccessible. But God, like, comes close to us. He, he bends down like a, like a parent. He gets down on his hands and knees so that we can connect with him easier. Or for those of you that have or can remember um, having young kids and teaching them words, teaching them English or whatever other language, <laughs> allowing them to have the gift of communication so that they can communicate with you. That's what God does in the Psalms. It's like a parent teaching their kid vocabulary so that they can have a meaningful and deeper relation. He wants us to kind of get our prayer muscles exercised and stretched. And the Psalms are a gift so that we can do that. So I have a simple goal today. Uh, my goal is to help you pray. Uh, some of you are probably, I'll admit, prayer experts. Some of you, I can learn from you how to pray. But I think the title of this message is like, Connecting with God in anxious times. Uh, how to pray when you're scared, maybe is another way. And uh, I've learned a thing or two about anxious times over these past couple of years. I don't know if I'm the only one, but uh, we've all walked and lived through some anxious times. So I believe that Psalm 3 has some things for us to, to know and learn and experience about connecting with God in anxious times. So with that in mind, what else should I do right now but, but briefly pray? And I ask for that help. So Lord, we're, we're honored to, to be here. Uh, I love even that notion that was prayed earlier on, that you would be our honored guest. And, and that's true. We want to have our hearts open to you, to be receiving from you. And what also is true, Lord, is you're our gracious host. So thank you so much for the way that, even as we heard Ben read the, the words of Scripture to us, you've already addressed us. Thank you for that. I pray that any comments that I make for these next few moments can be helpful and useful and can connect us um, more and more into the God that cares for us in our anxieties. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So over these past couple of years, like we've all experienced like a variety of anxieties. Uh, sometimes uh, punctuated moments of panic attacks or 
or, or reasons when maybe life and limb has actually been on the line or there's concerns that we have for those that we care about. Um, if we think back to about, what, 25 months ago to, to the start of all this, uh, we might look back and kind of chuckle at some of the things that we were concerned about two years ago. And those fears or concerns that we had back then, like, never really came to pass. I was at my mother-in-law's house last night, and I got to see the toilet paper stockpile <laughs> that still is there. And so there's things that we thought were going to be a really big deal that actually weren't that big. But then we could think back 25 months ago. There's things that we had no idea about that were actually going to loom larger and larger. Legitimate causes for fear or concern that we didn't even know about back then. Well, David, the author of this psalm, uh, he knows a thing or two about fear in his life. Uh, from the time that we see him introduced, uh, we know that his life has experienced danger from a young age. As he looks after his father's sheep, he encounters lions and tigers and bears Oh my. Um, later on, uh, he goes into the valley of Elah to do battle against the mighty warrior Goliath. Uh, later, David is fleeing for his life from the envious and insecure King Saul. And so he's gone through his fair share of life-threatening situations already. Maybe if David was here in the room, he'd be like, actually, I feel like I've gone through more than my fair share of life-threatening situations. But the setting of Psalm 3 is actually a, a different kind of fear. Uh, maybe if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 3, and I, I hope they are, um, you'll notice that even before verse 1 starts, there's something called the superscript. Um, my mind says, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. That actually is part of the original manuscripts and documents. Um, most or some of the Psalms have that commentary above that tells a little bit about the setting for which it's written. So here's, here's the setting. David is no longer a young man anymore. He's not the young shepherd looking after his father's flocks, nor is he the, the, the young, uh, I was going to say soldier, but he was kind of drafted into the army at a moment's notice to go fight Goliath as, as a young man. Anyway, he's not young anymore. Uh, David has lived long enough to see his children grow up, and he also has lived long enough to have one of his children, a man by the name of Absalom, launch a coup attempt against him. Uh, he's seen Absalom, his son, gather popular support, and, and stage an insurrection against him. If you want, you might just jot this down. Second uh, Samuel chapter 15, 16, and 17. That's the whole backstory of this. Absalom has hard feelings against his dad. He thinks that he'd be a better ruler. He thinks that he could take care of things better than his dad. And so he gathers popular support and then launches an insurrection against his own dad. Um, it's a dark part of David's life, and he actually flees from his house. 
And that's more than you and me leaving our house. Like, he fled the palace. And we know, we've seen, even on the news, when a leader leaves the palace, that means something big is happening. He walks down the same route that Jesus is eventually going to walk down on the night when he was betrayed. He goes from Mount Zion down through the Kidron Valley and then up again to the Mount of Olives. And sometime during those fear-inducing days and nights, uh, David like pulls out his prayer journal, you know, and he gets his pen and he writes down what we have here as Psalm 3. He pours out his heart to the Lord in the middle of an anxiety-inducing situation. So again, I hope that none of us have ever have to, had to or ever will flee our homes because of a rapid change of government. Uh, but that's the experience of, of some in our world, even last year. Uh, you've seen the footage from Afghanistan, right? It's people who have these legitimate fears for their life because of a change in government. Now, if we can even just think back to our mind's eyes watching those horrifying scenes, like it's not hard to imagine King David mixed in amongst with those people. There's a change in government. I got to get out of here. One more thing before we get into verse one. I want to highlight that this was written not later on after the conflict was resolved. Like David wrote this in the middle of the fearful situation. It's not like Absalom is defeated. Spoiler alert. He is. <laughs> it's not. Eventually, Absalom is, is defeated. Uh, but David didn't wait until afterwards to write this psalm. There's no Hollywood ending. It's not like the, 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 the credits roll and then there's a post-credit scene. And it's David being like, you know what? I'd like to write this. No, in the middle of the fearful situation, that's what he writes this. He actually writes this as an act of prayer. He prays. He speaks to God about his circumstances, and the circumstances don't immediately change, but David does, and that's why I want to look at this psalm right now. This psalm begins in verse 1 the same way that a lot of our prayers begin, by acknowledging our problems and our fears. Look at verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. And he has these multifaceted problems that he brings before the Lord. Did you notice that in those two verses, he uses the word many three times? And if you glance down to verse 6, he says the same thing. He says, many thousands of people have set themselves all around me. He's experiencing like multiplied miseries. And for David, it's not just the personal heartache that his son, Absalom, has turned against him. It's that he's not alone. Like he's, he's changed the hearts of other people to turn against David. Many have risen against me. So there's former friends and there's current family that have turned against David. And he brings his 
fears, his pain, his hurt, his anxiety before the Lord in prayer. Dear God, like I'm scared and I'm hurt. It's worth maybe noting here that Psalm 3 is the first of a category of psalm, like a genre of the psalms uh, called the Psalms of Lament. Um, Honest acknowledgement that things are not right in the world or that things are not right in here and bringing that complaint reverently, respectfully before the God who cares. Now, a while ago, last year, I had this passing thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we took a series of Sundays at, at Calvary Cork and looked through all of the Psalms of Lament? which I think kind of like was a glimpse into my own <laughs> emotional situation. And I thought, yeah, we'll do a whole series of all the Psalms of Lament. And then I looked it up. Guys, turns out there's 42 Psalms of Lament. <laughs> so I decided not to in, um, inflict that upon, upon the poor church of Calvary Cork. But that tells us something. Tells us that almost one out of every three Psalms fall into this category. Honestly complaining to God about the situation out there or the situation in here. These, what these do, they, they authorize you. They actually encourage you to be open and honest with the Lord, your maker, about your emotional state and the wrongs of the world. H.B. Charles, the um, uh, well-known um, African-American Southern Baptist preacher, he describes Psalms of Lament this way. He says, the Psalms of Lament are when a spirit-filled man of God sings the blues. And I like that. David's got the blues. (laughs) He's got the emotional weight of what feels like, from his own son, this opportunistic betrayal. But more than that, the next verse says, there's a propaganda campaign launched against him. See that at the end of verse 2? Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. So not only is it a military threat against him, it also is like a theological assault. They're saying God's through with David. See, they're not denying that God exists. See, they're not going around saying, oh, David trusts in God. We all know God's not real. That's a fairy tale. He trusts in a make-believe God. What they're saying actually is different. They're saying God, who is real, is through with David. He has answered David's last prayer. David has sinned his way into this mess, and God wants nothing to do with him anymore. God is no longer graciously disposed towards David. God, who is real, is not showing himself towards David as a helper or a deliverer or a rescuer. New Living, so many are saying God will never rescue him again. It's kind of an awful thing for David to go through. Again, not just the the threat to his life, but then he's got to be internalizing this. Well, is it true? Has God cast me off? It's an awful thing for him to go through, and I hope my friends, that you never have gone through this, um, enduring like a hardship um, and pain and suffering is grueling. But doing so while also battling in your mind the thought, 
is God even good? Does God even care about me in the midst of this? That can be too much to bear. Not just the pain, but also wondering, is God good even in the midst of this? All of us kind of imagine that we would have like the faith of Job, you know? The patience and the faith of Job, who's, who's lost so much and he's endured so much. And then even through all of it, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We all wish that we could be like that. But what if you aren't? <laughs> what if over the past couple of years or, or you've discovered, I didn't come through it like how I thought I would? Uh, maybe all of us would like to believe that we'd have the same kind of faith of Horatio Spafford, who after losing his daughters in a, um, in a ship uh, disaster, he eventually wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We'd love to be like that, but what if we aren't? What if we've learned? What if we've experienced that? Sometimes in the midst of loss, in the midst of confusion, that's when the whispered lies of the enemy can be even the loudest in our ears. In the midst of grief and confusion, that's when we hear, well, this kind of proves it, doesn't it? That God isn't actually your friend. He doesn't really care about you. He's been good to others, and he continues to be good to others, but he's not being good to you, and he won't be ever again. There is no salvation for you from God. Charles Spurgeon writes about this, and he comments on, on this verse. He says, if all of the trials from heaven and all of the temptations that ascend from hell and all of the crosses which arise from the earth could be mixed and pressed together, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us from God. This, this suffocating. You know, I've seen this uh, documentary that I can't get out of my mind uh, that kind of explained in brutal detail, like, how a boa constrictor, like, kills a deer, you know, and I've, and I've watched it, and it's haunting. Uh, it's not like this rapid squeeze that we might imagine, but it's kind of just a slow, patient, like, the boa constrictor just waits the deer out, just wraps itself around the ribs, and with every time the snake takes a breath, he just tightens a little bit, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. It's slow, it's agonizing. Consistent pressure from every side is enough to kill a deer. How about you? For David, he's experiencing physical danger, political upheaval, family betrayal, spiritual slander. And then we come across this word at the end of verse 2, Selah. Selah, we don't exactly know what that word means. It appears like 74 times in the Psalms. Uh, here's what most people assume that it means. Um, that is kind of like a, a musical pause. It's like when Casey kind of does a little guitar solo, you know, like think about this, you know. Um, so it's kind of a, like it appears, this is the first time it appears in the Psalms, and it appears, like I said, 70 plus more times, and it means like think about this, think about this. What, what, a, what a horrible place to stop and think, right? In the midst of like physical assault against his life and, and threatening against the office of the king, David also is experiencing like spiritual slander and there's propaganda and there's lies against the God who he trusts in. 
Selah. And into that pause, like verse four, like verse three thunders in and says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. He deliberately pivots and changes his focus at this point. He is no longer addressing his problems. And in verse three and onwards, David begins addressing his God. This is how Cory Ten Boom puts this, and I really appreciate this. She says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you will be at rest. Very simply put, comes out of a very complex, and she's proved that over her life, and David is experiencing that. He's looking at the world, getting distressed looking within, getting depressed. And now, after a Selah moment, he looks to the Lord. There's a lot of depressing and distressing things out there, and we're invited to bring those to God in prayer. He says three things about God. You're a shield. You're my glory, and you're the lifter of my head. Let's talk about a shield for a second. Obviously, a shield speaks of protection. Now, the reason why I know that is because if you ever see a man walking with a shield, it's because he thinks that he's walking into an unsafe environment, right? I think of like the riot police carrying shields. They, they think that where they're going is not safe. You think about Captain America, right? Nowhere he goes is safe. <laughs> um, and so the shield offers protection to those who are expecting trouble. But you know what? I love what we had read to us at the beginning. We had Psalm 3, and then we had the bonus verse from Genesis 15, where God reveals himself to Abram and says, Fear not, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And so we think about a shield, and it offers great protection for the front of you, right? But notice what it says here. Does your Bible say the same thing as mine? It says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. If you read from the NIV, you are a shield around me. See, a, a shield that you and I think of covers the front of you. But David knows that when he's under God's protection, it's 360 degrees. You're a shield about me. You're a shield around me. So my wife and I were, you know, Irish missionaries uh, we're not the first. I'm going to leave a quote from St. Patrick, the first Irish missionary. And, uh, and he, he didn't write much, or at least of his writings, we don't have very much. We have his, um, yeah, we have his like kind of life stories called his confessio. We also have kind of a short prayer that he wrote, and it's valuable. Allow me to, to read it to you. He says this, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me. God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me. From snares of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, afar or anear. Christ with me, 
Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and my left, when I lie down, when I sit down, when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. So King David, in his fear, he looks around and he sees many reasons why he should be afraid. But King David, in his faith, he looks above him and he sees one reason why he should be confident. And that is that God is a shield around him. So God's the shield. Also, it says, you're my shield and you are my glory. Now, glory is a, a hard word to define. You know, as if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're a, a regular attender of church, you've probably heard the word glory um, a lot. We Christians like to say the word glory. But when it comes to defining it, it gets a little tricky. <laughs> uh, the Hebrew word there is kabod or chavod. Um, and it means, like strictly speaking, it means weight. It means like heavy. You talk about something being a weighty matter or something is, um, has weight to it, it means it's serious. It means it's important. So kabod means glory. Have you heard the phrase or the name Ichabod? It means the glory has departed. The weightiness has left the room. Now, God has glory, but also you and I, we, we have glory. The New Testament even speaks about the glory of a man, the glory of a woman. There's, there's even like a weightiness to you and I. We're made in the image of a weighty God, and there's weightiness to us. It's the most important thing about you is your kabod, your glory. Uh, Dr. Tim Mackey talks about your, your status and your significance. That's, that's who you are. Now, what was King David's glory up until this point? So, I mean, maybe his glory was found, you know, there's a hint in his name. He's King David. That's, the, that's his status. That's his significance. What makes you weighty? Well, I'm, I'm the king. I'm King David. He was, he was the king, but now he's deposed. He's been chased out of his home. He's abandoned the palace. He has no glory in being king anymore. That was his job, you could say. For a lot of us, our job might be our status and our significance. What we do for work becomes the most important thing about us. Now, again, over the past two years, maybe in this room, there's people who have experienced, you know, job insecurity. Uh, maybe you are in a field that was really impacted uh, over these past two years. And maybe you found out that it turns out it's actually more than just a paycheck. It actually is like yourself that's on the line. And people are talking about, oh, if you're essential or not essential, it's like, well, yeah, but it's, it's, that's me you're talking about. Loss of status or significance. So King David wasn't really kingly at the moment. Also, we know that his job was for him also his ministry. In ancient Israel, there was no such thing as like separation of church and state. Um, the king of Israel was a, an anointed position just as much as a prophet and a priest. For David, to govern well was his way of serving God and serving people. That was his ministry. 
Sometimes Christians are our ministry. What we do for God or others can be our sense of significance and status. And when we don't get a chance to do it, or when we try and it doesn't work, when you ask your coworker if you want to talk about Jesus and they say no, or when they say yes and they laugh and you're, you feel like, I'm trying to serve the Lord here and it's not happening. Now, again, my, my wife mentioned that Ireland had the, the longest and the most intense and the most restrictive lockdown out of all of, out of, all of Europe. And uh, you know, she kind of mentioned the restrictions are leaving uh, last week. Not all the way. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of um, kind of regulations that we're still living with. Uh, things got a whole lot better last week. Uh, but for someone maybe like me, who like the way that I serve the Lord involves being in a room with lots of people, you know, or like putting a hand on somebody and praying for them, I felt, man, my status and my significance is on the line here. Uh, this is not just what I do, but it's like, whoa. This is taken away from me. Or also, thirdly, maybe David's sense of kabod, maybe his sense of glory had to do with him as, as a dad. You know, I mentioned this, this is kind of a father-son story here. Uh, maybe he, well, I, let me just say, I know the unique joy that comes from being, like, proud of my kids. Um, I, I know the unique pleasure that comes when my kids are playing together quietly in the other room. <laughs> and they're just like, this is the best. I love this, you know? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my son, Owen. Hi, buddy. Who's memorized 30 questions from the New City Catechism. You know, like, I'm proud of you for that, and I'm proud of you for a lot of things. Um, the Bible talks about in the New Testament, John writes, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. But guys, what if they aren't? If there's no greater joy, well, then does it also say that there's no greater, like, sadness? What about when they hate your guts? Or what if you've been able to maintain a good relationship even into their adult years and, and everything is really good, but they're not walking in the truth? He says, I have no greater joy than to know my children are walking in the truth. They, they think that you're great, Mom, you're great, Dad, but this Christianity thing, come on. Seriously? David's family life, especially his kids, is a big mess. Now, Absalom's public rebellion was essentially the skeletons in David's closet becoming written on the front page of the Jerusalem news. And it wasn't just, you know, like the, the, the Game of Thrones type family dis, dis, um, dysfunction in his life. But now everybody knows about it, and it's actually in the Bible. We're talking about it in February of 2022. All of his secrets and failures are now known by everybody. So what are the things that he could take glory in? He's totally out of status and significance. Job insecurity, no public ministry. It's become apparent that he has failed as a parent. He has nothing left to glory in. Ichabod, right? The glory has departed. But in the midst of like him at his lowest, he's able to say, Lord, not only are you a shield about me, you are my glory. Like you're the weightiest thing in my life. And this stormy wind has come and blown away everything that I build my life on. That's gone. But you're left. 
You're the glorious, <laughs> you're the, the heaviest and the most glorious thing in my life. You are my glory. You're my constant presence. You're the weighty, the weighty presence when everything else is blown away. Thirdly, finally, he says, you're the lifter of my head. Like, guys, how could he not be after considering that he is all that's left? He is what's going to last after everything else fails. And he is that 360-degree shield about him. Verse 3 says that he's the defense for the defenseless as the shield. He's the glory for the disgraced. And he is our joy when we're comfortless. Verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy hill. Verse 4 is past tense. Like this, is, this happened sometime in the past. He's kind of remind him, reminding himself, there was an occasion when I, I called to you and you answered me. And what he's doing is he's kind of like deliberately calling that to his own mind. He's saying, God, you've heard me and answered me in the past. I just want to acknowledge that. So what kind of is the title of today's sermon? It's like what to do. It's connecting with God in anxious times or how to pray when you're scared. Um, here's something to do is maybe just deliberately call to mind, God's answered me in the past. And he kind of leaves it vague. He doesn't even say when it took place, but he says, I've, I've called before and you've answered. So it's worth reminding yourself that this is not, God's first rodeo. <laughs> and this is not the first time you and him have gone through something before. In the big things or in the small things, look at verse 5. Verse 5, here's a very small thing. I lay down and slept, and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Uh, David is thanking God for the small an often unappreciated gift of a good night's sleep. He says, well, I don't have much to be thankful for, but at least I didn't die last night in my sleep. Thanks a lot, God. And you know, that's a great thing for us to, to acknowledge. I guess for me, I've noticed this because 2021 was a year full of insomnia for me. Um, maybe some of you have experienced that, that you know, Turns out it's actually the worst. I hate it. Um, I have no problem going to sleep. I just wake up a few hours later and then can't get back to sleep again. Um, so I had this like fresh appreciation for, for this verse. Lying down and sleeping. Not lying down and tossing and turning, but being able to, to sleep. So I just I'd encourage you, in times of anxiety or fear, we look back on the big things that God's done for us. I've cried and you answered me from my holy hill, from your holy hill, or even the little things. There's a hymn that says, count your blessings one by one, even starting with, man, you sustained me last night. Uh, verses six, seven, and eight have this kind of rising sense of confidence. Um, I will not be afraid. In verse seven, he says, arise, O Lord. This is obviously deliberately like battle imagery. David's calling on God to fight his battle for him. Uh, he asks God to strike cheeks and break teeth. Did you notice that? The Psalms are so nice and peaceful. <laughs> um, but there's also verses like that. 
I don't have time to get into this. This is for Pastor Trevor to deal with later on. Maybe he can do a series on like the imprecatory um, song. Imprecatory are, are these types of verses where it's asking God to, to intervene and to fight battles on behalf of the beleaguered or the besieged psalmist. So if the Psalms of Lament are when a spirit-filled man of God sings the blues, Maybe these imprecatory psalms are when a spirit-filled man of God sings heavy metal, you know? So we come now to verse 8. Verse 8 answers the slander of verse 2. So let's kind of see where we've come. Verse 2, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Come to that final verse. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be upon your people. Yes, you are a God who saves, and you are a God who delivers, David says at the end of this. So there's these movements in these psalms, acknowledging the problems, the fear, the concerns, and then turning from them, looking towards God, and ending with confidence. So this teaches us how to pray when we're frightened, overwhelmed, with anxiety, battling fears. I don't know if you've been taking notes or not, but here's a good time to start. Sorry, because it's the last minute of the sermon. Because now the sermon's going to start. No, we're done. We're, we're, we're wrapping up. And here's, here's kind of the summary, the four-sentence summary. Number one, we acknowledge that our fears are real. You could write down or just think, our fears are real. And here's the connected part. And God cares for you in the midst of those. The New Testament says we can cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. So our fears are real. Next thought, review. God is real. Like we don't live in some cold, naturalistic universe of only causes and only effects. Uh, We have a God who's real. A God who is our shield, and the lifter of our head, and our glory. Also, for the believer in Jesus, we know that there's a, something that's so indestructible and core about God being our glory, of him being our sense of status and significance. We're able to, to sing truths like, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And, so our fears are real, our God is real, we can also thank him for what he has done in the past. He has heard our prayers in the past, and he has sustained us last night as we slept. And on that, I have more to say. God does more than just give us a good night's sleep. God's done so much more than that. Um, You see, there is a descendant who came from David's line, who came from David's family, and he was not an ungrateful, violent rebel like how Absalom was, who tries to usurp control through force and through propaganda. You see, I know someone, and I believe you know him too, who is rightly called the son of David. Last Sunday, 
Didn't you hear about how blind Bartimaeus calls out, son of David, have mercy on me? Absalom was a son of David, but we look to the true son of David. And he's the one who experienced betrayal. But he does not strike God's enemies on the cheek, but he allows himself to be slapped in the face. Indeed, this son of David experienced the ultimate rejection, being nailed to a Roman cross. He was truly overwhelmed by his enemies. And the son of David, Jesus Christ, doesn't just rise from a good night's sleep, but on the third day rises from the grave itself. And now he offers and he extends his comfort and his peace both to you and to me. And it's not just a temporary comfort, because verse 8 tells us that salvation belongs to the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ extends that to you who reach out your empty hand of faith. So our fears are real. God is real. We look to what he's done in the past, both last night and 2,000 years ago, and then we can also have confidence in the face of a frightening future. So we can... In conclusion, quote Romans 8, what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, well, then who can be against us? So Lord, thank you so much for your entrance into David's troubles and his fears. And I'm so glad that this is not just an ancient record of when you did it once for that one guy. Thank you that this is not just there and then, but this is also the story of here and now. Um, You care about your daughters and your sons. Uh, You care about the the real or imagined causes for concerns that we have. Uh, Thank you so much for the son of David who has come to us and dealt with the ultimate thing that we should be fearful about, Satan, death, and hell. And beyond that, He also comes into our anxieties and our fears. We're so thankful. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.